if farmers don't have soil samples, they may not be allowed any chemical phosphate. If that is the case, if you're one of the farmers who fall into that category, the fertiliser database will be able to capture what fertiliser you bought, when you bought it, who you bought it, what type of fertiliser, how much. Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Environment Specialist Tim Hyde to discuss the current changes to the nitrates regulations, what it means for farmers and the future changes coming down the line. Tim, you're very welcome. The recent changes to the nitrates regulations, will they have an impact on all farms in Ireland? The nitrates regulations affect every farm in the country. And depending on your stocking rate, it will affect you a bit more than others. But there are a number of things that will affect every farm. I'll just give a couple of examples to start us off, I suppose. Um, you know, every, if you have cattle slurry or cattle on your farm, you have slurry producer in the winter, you can... You have a spreading period when you can't spread it. And you look in 2022, you had to stop spreading from the 7th of October. This year coming up, you have to stop spreading by the end of September. So that's just one example. Another example there that affects every farm in the country is that you have tillage land in 2023. You cannot use any chemical pea or organic pea, phosphorus, on those soils unless you have a soil sample to say otherwise. And the third thing, just to give you an example again, is if you have farm roadways for every farm in the country, they have to be sloped away from any ditches so that any runoff from the farm roadway uh, is diverted off into a field. It can't flow directly into what we call waters, whether that be a dry drain or a stream or a river. So there are just a few examples of things that affect every farm in the country. Now, there's a, a plethora of other um, rules and regulations that affect every farmer in the country but i would just say Catherine, as to start off we have uh if anybody isn't uses the uh the world wide web i suppose if you want to call it we have the chagas public website and we have a newsletter there from october nitrates newsletter from october 22 that outlines all this stuff in it and the farmers can read down through it and see where well where does my farm fit into it that's great tim and i'll include that publication in the podcast notes so the you mentioned there the slurry changes and it also has changed with regard the one meter cubed slurry has now been halved for the chemical nitrogen allocation. Yeah, and you know we go we just go back to the slurry spreading period. Obviously, we, we're in twenty twenty three now, so every farmer has to have the slurry spread by the end of September this year. And you know the big question I would have here is that we have. A requirement now, it's come back two weeks. Let's say it was the 15th of October two years ago. Now it's back to the 1st of October. You can't spread, you have to have it spread by. So the question there is now that you have two weeks uh, earlier when you have to start spreading it by, have you enough slurry storage in your farm? And what we were finding is that we were doing a good bit of um, farmyard assessments um, on farms. Chagas advisors are doing them. And, you know, the question is, you know, if you're in a 16 week zone, uh, of storage and you say that well I'm going to house my cattle on the 1st of November have you 16 weeks slurry storage from the 1st of November if you're in a heavier part of the country and you're housing in mid October or early October have you 16 weeks slurry storage from that date and I think a good question here for every family that might, might be listening to this is that you know when did I house my cattle last winter. Uh, October was wet on a lot of farms. Uh, some cattle were in early, some cattle might have gone out. Again, some cattle might have stayed in. But if you take the average date that you housed, if you take 16 weeks 
from that, if you had to spread slurry before that 16 weeks was up, you're probably short of slurry storage. The second thing you mentioned to me there was that the the N content, the nitrogen content in a meter cubed or one ton of slurry, or it's the same thing as 220 gallons, uh, is five kgs or was five kgs up to the middle of March last year. And the nitrates uh, statutory instrument, which is our legal basis for the nitrates directive, changed that from five to 2.4 in March last year. So it also, at the at the end of July last year, the P content of the, the ton or meter cubed of slurry changed from 0.8 to 0.5. So there was virtually a halving for both N, nitrogen and phosphate in what's, what we used to consider a, a, a one meter cubed of slurry. That has implications. Um, the farmers that were exporting maybe to come, on, to come under 170 kgs of N per hectare to stay out of derogation, uh, they might have had to export 500 cubic meters last year or 2021, now that's doubled because the end content has um, reduced in half. Um, and the basis for that changes were from the uh, a pub, a research publication that showed, you know, a lot more majority of slurry in the country is being diluted in some way or another, whether it's rainwater getting into it, open tanks, a bit of dairy washings or open yards or gutters not working. So, you know, the end content that we thought was in slurry is not actually what it, is in reality when you go and do the slurry testing on it. That's great, Tim. And I suppose when you're on slurry, I suppose we're really looking at the low emission slurry spreading is becoming mandatory on all farms. Yeah, over time, um, there is uh, more farmers every year that are going to have to use low emissions to spread their slurry on farm, and whether that's cattle slurry or sheep slurry or whatever. Um, Derogation farmers have had to do it for the last number of years and they have to have half their slurry spread by the 15th of July every year, but they have to use less equipment or, you know, a dribble bar, trailing shoe or injection system to do it. And, you know, for the start of this year, any farmers with a grassland stocking rate of 150, and I'm going to mention the word grassland and I'll, you know, highlight it a bit. Grassland stocking rate is the nitrogen from your grazing animals divided by your grassland area. So anybody who had a grassland stocking rate of 150 or more last year have to spread using low, their slurry this year using low emissions. Next year, that's dropping to people with a stocking rate of 130. And then from the 2025, which, you know, we think is a long way away, but it's less, you know, it's less than two years away. It's everybody over 100 kgs of in per hectare. So there are requirements being phased in over the next few years as to who will have to spread slurry on their farms using low emissions. Uh, and the one thing to mention, Catherine, is that they may, the slurry that they would, if they were in this cat, one of these categories, if they imported slurry, let's say pig slurry or, you know, anything like that, or slurry from another farm, then they would have to use low emissions if they already had to use it on their own farm. So there, there are just some of the changes that are coming in for low emissions over the next couple of years. So in relation to the chemical fertiliser, Tim, regarding changes, what changes have we made there with regard dates, etc.? Well, it's a good thing, Catherine. You actually mentioned it, um, and we didn't. I didn't get back to it, about there's been an increase in the the buffer zone that you can spread chemical fertiliser beside waters. And when they describe waters, they anything from a dry drain up to a river, stream, lake. That was two metres. That buffer zone is now gone to three. And I suppose best practice would be that if you had, this is for spreading chemical fertiliser. 
um, which is your bag fertilizer, your your reels or your 18612s, that you know that was two meters. It's now gone to three for the start of this year. Uh, and I suppose, look, best practices, we might keep out a little bit more than that, especially where you've got sloped ground or ground that might be heavy in nature. You don't want any of that washing off. The next change that is coming, now it's it's in it's going through the legislative ch- stage at the moment, and a lot of farmers would have heard about this fertilizer database that has been introduced by the Department of Agriculture. It's part of our Nitrex action plan that we are going to commit as a nation to having some kind of fertilizer database where all farmers that who buy fertilizer, it will be recorded against the herd number. And that's that they'll have to sign up to this program. It's going to be voluntary for the moment, I believe. Um, it isn't in law yet. It's tied up with another bit of legislation as well. That, you know, when you go in to buy your fertilizer, you'll have to quote a herd number. That herd number, that fertilizer will then be associated to that herd number and the co-op or wherever you buy the fertilizer will then upload that into the department database. And then at some stage towards the September, October each year, you will be asked to verify that this is the fertilizer that I bought. Did I use it all or have I some left over in closing stocks or had a few bit of opening stock? So, you know, that's going through there at the moment. The one thing that will probably make it more difficult is that not every supplier will be maybe linked to the department database or might have to be done manually. If you have multiple herd numbers in a partnership or share farming agreements, you may be buying the fertilizer or a company, let's say, or something like that. You might be buying the fertilizer under one herd number and it might be used by one or two or three other herd numbers, for example, in the, under that company or farm partnership. So when that creates, you have to do a little bit of trading between the different herd numbers then from the one person, the one entity that's buying the whole lot of it. Look, we have a lot to learn about that yet. It's coming down the track as uh, whether it'll be in, in the next couple of weeks or months or whenever it's announced, we don't know, but I suppose watch this space on that. We'll expect it to see it by the end of the year, Tim, anyway. It's expected so, yeah. It's expected that it will be in sometime in the next couple of months, but whether it'll be a voluntary programme initially and then brought phased in over time to be mandatory, look, we'll have to watch this space. The one thing about Catherine, I'll go back to mentioning about the soil sampling. You know, um, if farmers have to, don't have soil samples, they may not be allowed any chemical phosphate. Uh, and there are new requirements that have come in this year, and we can go back over through that in a minute. But if that is the case, if you're one of the farmers who fall into that category, the fertilizer database will be able to capture what fertilizer you bought, when you bought it, who you bought it, what type of fertilizer, how much. There is also talks that will be linked to uh, lime usage. So if you buy ground limestone or granulated lime, that those suppliers will be linking into it as well. So it's kind of a database. It'll save records. Uh, like, you know, there's 10% of derogation farmers are inspected on a yearly basis. 3 to 5% of other farmers are inspected for nitrates. It will save the advisor and the farmer having to gather those documents and send them into the department as um, following an inspection. That probably brings us along, Tim, nicely to the changes, I suppose, to the nitrate regulations. As you mentioned, it's affecting all farmers. We might start at the grassland stocking rate that you outlined earlier of 130 kilos of organic nitrogen. What do the changes consist of for farmers that are stocked at that stocking rate? Yeah, good question, Catherine. I suppose I could go back to the, you mentioned the grassland stocking rate there. So that's your total in from all your grazing livestock, whether that be cattle, sheep, horses, uh, anything else that would be grazing. So, you know, you divide that by your grassland area. Um, on the Department of Ag Food System, you can get a, a link to what's called the NMP statements. 
which summarizes the total in on a couple of times during the year and at the end of the year from your bovines. So you can that's one way of working out. If you're cattle only, that's a very simple way of working out your grass and stocking rate. Um, if you sheep or horses, you kind of have to do a little bit of adding and subtracting from that figure to see what your grass and stocking rate is in that farm. But from the first, from the 11th of March last year, uh, there was a couple of farming groups uh, that fell into having to have mandatory soil samples. And when I say if you didn't have a soil, it's not that you have to take a soil sample, but you can't use chemical P if that makes sense. So from the 11th of March last year, if you were stocked above 170 of a grass on a stocking rate, if you didn't have soil samples to say, well, this ground needs phosphorus, it's what we call P4. It has enough phosphorus in it. So you weren't allowed to buy any chemical P or import any organic P on those farms last year. And from 1st of January this year, it's those with a grassland stocking rate over 130. And also from the 1st of January this year, that any farmer in the country with arable land, so if you would have bit of spring barley, spring oats, winter wheat, if you don't have a soil sample to say that that land, that soil sample, that five hectare area needs chemical phosphorus, it's in P index one, two, or three. So it's very low in P or low, or it just needs maintenance. You cannot buy any chemical P for that crop in 2023. Uh, what's happened is that there is a, we've done a big push nationally. Uh, we, as I mentioned you about that newsletter we did in October, we did another one in December, actually, Catherine, that you might be able to give a link as part of this podcast. Uh, specifically, the one in December is around the soil sampling. We see a huge increase in the number of farmers taking soil samples in the last couple of months because of this regulation. And what we are finding is that, look, the results are coming back variable depending on the type of farm and the farming system and how intensely it was managed and what type of fertilizer was being used on that farm over the last number of years. But there's a tendency for most of these farms to need some kind of phosphorus when these soil samples come back. And the good thing is, at least... When you have a full set of soil samples, you know where you need to go out with a bit of lime. Lime is the cheapest fertilizer, if you want to call it, that we have in the country. There's great responses. You get up to 83 kgs of free nitrogen when you get your lime and pH right. You release more phosphorus for the plant to grow. You get better efficiency from any fertilizer you put on after that and any slurry you spread or FRM manure. So, you know, there's a, there's a win-win here for everybody. Uh, if you have to take soil samples, and look, I'd say talk to your advisor would be the first protocol. A lot of advisors have contacted their clients already and said, look, we believe that you fall into this category that if you don't have a soil sample, you can't use any chemical P. And especially with the fertilizer database in the background as well, people are very nervous about it. Uh, and the problem is if you if people decide, well, I'm not going to spread chemical P. Well, then within a few years, the P status of those soils in the background is going to fall very quickly. And you're going to be in a worst case scenario for growing grass. So what I'd say is we need to be very... I'd say to everybody that's listening out there, contact your advisor. See, do you need to take soil samples? If you do, you'll end up with some kind of liming and fertilizer plan, and it'll give you an idea then what you can buy under the fertilizer database and be compliant and also increase soil fertility as you go along. Tim, what are the requirements for a farm with a grassland stocking rate over 170 kilos per hectare? It's a very good question, Catherine. Uh, we have about 7,000 farmers every year who are over 170 who apply for irrigation. On top of that, there's another nearly the same number of farmers, 7,000, that are over 170 who don't apply for derogation. And people think that when you're in derogation, well, you have an awful lot of rules and regulations to comply with. But 
something came in there a couple of years back in the year 2020 that if you're over 170, regardless of whether you apply for derogation or not, now this 170 is grassland stocking rate, that, you know, they were also caught by a number of rules. And we need to be very careful that, you know, those 7,000 farmers who don't apply for derogation but are over 170 need also to be aware that, you know, without a soil sample, they're allowed no chemical pee. They're also supposed to have, if they're supposed to have soil samples and they're supposed to have a liming plan. They have to spread all their slurry by less. Obviously, the spreading date for slurry has to come back to the 1st of October. They have to have sufficient slurry storage. The soil water for them is going to be going, and we didn't mention that earlier on, but the soil water storage is going from 10, 15 days at the moment to 21 and 31 days over the next couple of years. If they're feeding crude protein to dairy cows or animals over two years of age, you know, they have to, it can't be more than 15% crude protein from middle of April to the end of September. And there's four things or five things in that they're also compliant with and it's in relation to uh, water courses. And the first one is no runoff off roadways, which we said applies to every farm anyway. Water troughs must be 20 metres away from any water courses. They have to fence the water courses from livestock. They can't let livestock drink out of them. They can't let livestock cross over and back from one field to another through a water course without having some way of stopping the back fencing them. And they can't drink from the water courses. So, you know, even though we have 7,000 farmers in derogation, there's another approximately 7,000 that also fall into having much the same rules anyway. And, you know, that's the challenge we have out there. And I said to you, those two newsletters have a lot of that information in it if people want to go to it. Most definitely. I'll include both in the podcast text notes. I suppose you mentioned there the regulations with regard to the fertiliser register. And looking to the future, Tim, what other changes to the nitrates regulations are coming down the line that farmers should be aware of now? Okay, look, I haven't got a crystal ball, but we do know that uh, as part of the nitrates regulations, there's what we call nitrates regulations are amended every four years. So they were amended last year in 22 and the last of the years, 22, 23, 24, 25. In the last number of four-year action programs, uh, there it's reviewed every two years. What's called a midterm review. So the midterm review from for the one that was introduced last year is going to start, start taking place in the next couple of months. And Ireland has been asked uh, to look at a couple of things in relation to this midterm review. One of them is the fertilizer database, which look it's coming. Uh, then it's around the storage. Is the storage figures required for slurry and soil water correct uh, a lot of that's based on old data has the cow type changed since that those figures were done 25 30 years ago definitely the dairy cow type has changed um you know there's you've got very high yielding cows you've got low yielding cows you know and that kind of banding is already there within the dairy cow scenario but also the suckler cow has possibly changed as well um have we gone away from a a big continental Shirley type cow, or are we is that cow still there, or have we gone for more compact, um, free you know Frisian British Frisian limousine cross type cows? So there is going to be a uh, new research out towards the end of this year in relation to the slurry produced per animal per week, which is how we work out our slurry storage, and in relation to the soil water, um, figures as well. And I suppose a couple of things, Catherine, we need to you know we need to be very cognizant that water quality is hugely important. And that, you know, our nitrates action plan is about protecting and improving our water quality as well. And if we don't make good progress there, there could be tighter or more stringent 
rules coming down the track at us. And look, as I said, the midterm review is taking place this year. We'll know more as the year goes on as to what direction it's travelling. But there's no doubt about it that if our water quality and the concentration of nitrate in waters, whether that be your groundwater or your your river water or your estuarine water, then that will dictate whether Brussels will say, well, we're doing enough or not. Now, there's been an awful lot of good work done in the last few years on a lot of farms. You take the farm roadways, the fencing of watercourses, the moving of the water troughs, um, the reduction in chemical fertiliser. It is all going the right direction. The use of low emissions, the use of lime. An awful lot of farmers are getting more trained and more aware of what they can do. We have the ASAP programme in place in relation to advising farmers on water quality. So we are going the right way. Uh, it's just whether that will be enough and whether it will be seen in the results that the water quality results that the EPA gather on a yearly basis. Thanks very much, Tim. Most definitely there's a lot of changes to the nitrates regulations coming down the line and we'll touch base with you again later in the year. Thanks very much. Thanks, Catherine. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Tim for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.